Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. There's a weight that must be lifted. There's a trophy to be won. Open your Bibles again, if you would, to the book of John. Thank you, Landon, for that word and for those songs. I, it amazes me. Again, my children amaze me, but uh, for those who have been following along, known Landon for a while, he's taught himself to play the guitar in the last four or five months. And uh, I played a little bit, taught myself a little bit back when I was his age and then didn't stick with it. But uh, it's hard to play and sing at the same time. So both for Ella and for landed to strum and try to keep that rhythm and then sing it's kind of like the whole pat in your head and rubbing your belly at the same time if you ever tried that and uh just thankful for the abilities god has given them john chapter 20 john chapter 20 i'm gonna let you remain seated but i'm going to ask you to do as we've done the last several weeks if you would if you've got your bible this is in your bulletin and again i'm going to say it once I'm going to say it once, and then I'll have you repeat it with me the second time, just until we get in the habit of doing this, but something I just felt led to do, and that is this. Take your Bibles and hold it up over your head. Take your Word of God. Hold it up. This is the Word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. I will obey it by the grace of God. Let's say that together. This is the Word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. I will obey it. By the grace of God. Lucas, turn me down just a little bit on the in-house microphone, if you would. I'm getting a little bit of a kickback there, up here anyway. Uh, but John 20, and I'm going to pick up where Mark left off and read the rest. And that is this. in verse. I'm going to begin in verse 10. Then the disciples went away again. Into their own mind. In fact, let me back up to verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. When the disciples, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when he had thus said, he turned himself back and saw turned himself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. 
and that he had spoken these things unto her. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today as we celebrate what you did and what you are doing, but as we recognize and remember some 2,000 years ago, your son dying on the cross and being raised again. And Father, all that it means for us and for salvation and for eternal life and for the forgiveness of sins and being set free. And Father, we're just so very grateful. Help not a one of us to walk out of here today or to turn off the live stream today not understanding what Jesus did and that Jesus is alive and that we too can live forever. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. It is Easter. It is Resurrection Sunday. And at Easter, our, as Christians, our hearts, hopefully, our hearts and minds, have turned this week in particular. Most do. We, if we're Christians, if we go to church, if we, if we read our Bibles, if we're remembering, we, we turn our hearts and minds to Passion Week and to all that it means to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so this morning, we talk about that. We ought to talk about it all the time. We ought to talk about it every week, but it's here at Easter week that we tend to focus more on that. But as we look at the events that surrounded Passion Week and Easter, we could talk about a lot of different things. I mean, sometimes they say, well, it's always the same message. In fact, I've heard people say, well, not going to go to church this year. It's always the same message that you hear. This one's going to be a little different. But even if it was always the same, it's always good to hear. But if I wanted to skew a little negative, we could talk about the crucifixion, meaning not negative that he died because he paid our price, but just the agony and the ugliness that would have been the crucifixion. We could talk about the mock trials that led up to his arrest. We could talk about the beating, the whipping, the scourging that Jesus endured at the hands of the Romans. But not because of the Romans, but because of our sin. We could talk about the crowds choosing Barabbas over Jesus when given a choice to be released and then calling for Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. We could talk about the crown of thorns that they pushed down on his head, the nails, the agony, the suffering. We could talk about all those things. We could talk about the worst part, the weight of the sins of the world being laid on his back. He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. We could talk about that at Easter. We could talk about the very worst part. For the first time ever, God the Son and God the Father being separated as God had to turn his back and could not look on his Son on whom the sin had been laid. Where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus knew why. We could talk about the disciples. 
We could talk about the other followers and the bickering. I think sometimes we forget about how they bickered, who was going to be the greatest at the Last Supper. They didn't know it was the Last Supper. They were celebrating Passover, but the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, in that upper room, and how they were bickering over who was going to be the greatest. And it was then that Jesus walked in and realized nobody had washed anybody's feet. And while they're bickering and arguing, he stoops down and takes the bowl and the towel and begins to wash their feet. Peter and the rest, and even Judas. We could talk about the, the, about the betrayal of Judas. We could talk about the denials of Peter. We could talk about the abandonment of Jesus by nearly everybody when he was arrested. We could talk about Silent Saturday, as I thought much about Yesterday, that Saturday that followed Jesus after he was taken down from the cross and after he was laid in that tomb and he was dead and gone and buried. And how on that Sabbath day for them, that Saturday, how there was nothing. Can you imagine? I, I look at it as the darkest day. Some people say, well, the crucifixion was the darkest day. But the darkest, longest day to me would have been knowing Again, while he's on the cross, there's some hope that, hey, some angels might come and stop this, or God may put a stop to this, or surely Jesus is going to do a miracle and come down off the cross, but he didn't. But then on Saturday, there's nothing. Can you imagine what it must have been like? The shock of Jesus' death would begin to wear off on Saturday. The despair, the anger, the frustration, the confusion, the fear would begin to set in. All that you'd believed in, all that they had hoped in, all their dreams were gone, crushed. Their teacher, their master, their savior, their friend, their God, the son of God, everything gone and buried. Can you imagine? To think that it was over. We could even talk about Christians today. How even on Easter, many professing Christians, if I want to skew negative, how many professing Christians have a hard time dragging themselves out of bed and to celebrate the risen Savior on Easter. Thankful that you're here. Couldn't help but wonder. This is what, I tend to be, most of you know me, I tend to be positive, I, I tend to be optimistic. Every once in a while I'll get a little negative, and I couldn't help but wonder as it rained, that dreary, cold rain yesterday. Anybody go out in the dreary, cold rain? Anybody at all? I, I went out, I, I was, Tracy asked me if I would grill some chicken for land, and I said, in the rain? And I kind of put the grill there in the front of the garage so I didn't have to get rained on, but I walked out to the car to get something, and I was like, ooh, that is a cold rain. And I wondered... On that Saturday that the women went out, if that was us today, how many of us would have gone in that cold, bitter rain to the tomb? It was cold this morning. How many of us struggled? Or how many people struggled? Oh, it's cold this morning. I'll just go a different Sunday. What if they had said, what if Mary had said, I'll just wait and go another day? She would have missed it. She'd have wished it, it, on that, it, it today had been like yesterday is my point. The cold rain, the cold weather. That first day when they went, 
What if they said, it's too cold, I'll just stay in bed, I'll just wait. I also thought about this, how many of us as Christians, in demonstrating our appreciation for what Christ has done, live our lives in a fashion as if we're so thankful, it's equal to someone paying for our dinner at a restaurant. In other words, well, that was nice. Who did that? I really appreciate that. That was very kind of them. That's not what Jesus did. But yet sometimes in our reactions, sometimes in the way we live our lives, it's like, well, that was awful kind of him. No, it was the ultimate sacrifice. It was the ultimate gift. Oh, how we don't realize ourselves what it means that Jesus has risen from the grave, conquered death, sin, Satan. Because like his disciples, I pray that we, like, don't do like his disciples after they had seen that the tomb was empty. And I pray that we as Christians, hearing about him being risen, don't just go home. Verse 9 and 10 says they didn't understand that he'd yet to rise. And then it says, after they had seen it, even believing the tomb was empty, they went home. If I wanted to skew negative. But this is Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Thank you. It is this day that we recognize and celebrate as the day of our victory, that our victory was won, even though the outcome was never, ever in doubt. But as I read this passage in the weeks leading up to Easter, a couple things jumped out at me. I want to point those out to you. And so let me get to the crux of the message, and I'm going to be just brief because my time's almost gone already. And so I, all that was an introduction, but I just want to give you two points, two major points. Number one, on this Resurrection Sunday, knowing that, your, that Jesus' tomb is empty, to this day, empty. Be sure that your tomb, your grave, is one day found empty. It, because Jesus' grave was found empty and he proved victory over death and over sin and over hell and over the grave, we too, like Jesus, will one day, when we will die, if Christ delays his coming, but we will one day also be raised out of that grave. And so therefore, our tomb can be found empty. So be sure your tomb will one day be found empty by those who are left here. Jesus' grave was empty. He proved his power over death and over the grave. Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He told the disciples, I'm going away. He told the disciples, I will come again. He told the disciples in the beginning, he told the religious leaders in the beginning, tear down this temple and in three days I will build it again. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. But his resurrection from the tomb proves that not only did he pay the sacrifice, but it also proves that God accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sin's debt. Paid full and free. 
Salvation is offered full and free to all who will believe by faith and repent of sin. That's all there is. But don't miss the empty grave. Jesus' grave was empty. Our grave can be left empty, but don't miss the empty grave. And I mentioned it already, but I'll say it again. The disciples missed that Jesus must rise from the grave. That's what it says back in, in, in verse 9. For they, as yet they knew not the scripture. Those who certainly should have known didn't know. And for those of us that are here today, again, most of us, if not all of us that are here today, grew up in church or have been in church for a long time, and we should know, but don't miss it. Because they missed it. They didn't understand. They went home. That strikes me as just, and he said, well, what else were they supposed to do? I don't know, but I don't think if I had gone in and seen the empty tomb, I would have just gone home. I hope that I would not have just gone home. We miss the fact, and I believe with all my heart, and we read this, and it says, again, the disciples went, okay, so the women are there. They go back and they tell Jesus, or they tell the disciples, his body is gone. The tomb is empty. Right? And actually, they tell them also there was angels there, and they told us that he rose from the grave. So John and Peter run down, and, and scholars say, well, Peter probably was older. John ran faster and got there first. But then John stops at the door. Peter just rushes in and he sees the tomb is empty. There's no angels there anymore. He sees the tomb empty and he sees the grave clothes laying there. And then John goes in and he sees it and it says, and they believed. Right? Verse 8. Then went also the other disciple, that's John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. It doesn't mean he believed that he had raised from the dead. He's talking about the fact he believed it was empty. And we know that because it then says, verse 9, that they didn't yet know the scripture, that he was going to rise from the dead. So they didn't go and say, oh, great, he's gone. That's wonderful. They went and they said, his body's missing. Now what? And they went home. Don't miss what Jesus has done for you. Don't miss that he's alive today. Don't miss that he paid the price. Don't miss that he rose from the grave. Don't miss it. There are people that know all the Bible knowledge and know all the Bible stories and they know all about what I'm talking about, but they're going to miss heaven because they don't believe that he paid the price, that he was enough. That he rose from the dead. And Tetelestai, it is finished, as Landon sung about, meaning a business term, an accounting term, paid in full. It is finished. They went and they thought Jesus' story was done, but the story wasn't finished. And here's my point for you and me don't miss it because your story's not done either. Your story is not finished. Even if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, your story is not done. If you don't yet believe, then your story is not done because there's still a chance. But if you have believed, your story is not finished either. There's more for us to do, to go and to tell. 
to worship and to celebrate and to grow in Him. And that leads me to my second point as I'm about out of time. Be sure your grave will be found empty, but also realize this. Be sure to fill up the empty tomb. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, very quickly, when Peter and John got to the tomb, they found Jesus was not there, but the tomb was not entirely empty. Now, the women saw the angels, got the message from the angels, the men that were there. John and Peter did not, but the tomb wasn't entirely empty. This jumped out at me. The two things that jumped out at me was, one, the fact that they went home, and then number two was the fact that the tomb wasn't entirely empty. Look again. Jesus is not there, but the grave clothes are. Now, I could give you a whole illustration that I've heard, and, and, and I've, I've, in fact, one of these days I want to talk to Sidna or somebody else that, uh, that has a Jewish ancestry to ask them about this, because I've read this is true, but about the fact that in Jewish tradition, when they were eating at the table, the, the master or the father, when he was, if he got up from the table and folded his napkin, that meant he came, was coming back. And so I've heard preachers, I've heard scholars say that's what that means, meaning the fact that he wasn't finished, he was coming back. That's what that, in other words, when they would fold up their napkins, that was, if they just threw it down, I'm done. But if they fold it up, it means I'm not done, I'm coming back. And Jesus came back, or is coming back. But the fact is, I'm not going to focus on that right now. I just want to focus, there was stuff left in the grave. What did Jesus leave in the grave? Things he didn't need. Things that weren't eternal. Things that didn't matter. Things that didn't help him. That's what he left in the grave. And so therefore we need to fill up our grave with the things that don't matter. The opposite of that, or, or, or not the opposite, I guess you'd say the parallel to that would be Store up your treasures in heaven. And I say store up your treasures in heaven because all that we do ought to be done with an internal mind, eternal thought, but therefore lead to things that don't matter in the grave. And because of my time, I'm going to go kind of quickly, but I want you to understand this, that what should we fill up our grave with? Not our sin, that's already been dealt with. In other words, our sin has already been paid for. Our sin has already been taken and left in hell. Our sin, the Bible tells us, has already been buried in the deepest part of the sea. Our sin has already been removed as far from us if we're saved, if we repented, if we believed. Our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. And one of my favorite illustrations is the fact that, again, this is just according to me, but the reason Jesus didn't say, or that God didn't say, as far as the north is from the south, he said the east is from the west, is important because the east and the west never meet. You start going east, you've heard me tell this before, but in case you've forgotten, if you get on our equator, just to use that little belt line there, and you start traveling east, you're going to eventually hit Europe, and then you're going to go around and you're going to hit Asia Minor, and then you're going to hit China, and you're going to go around the Pacific, and you'll end up back where you started at. East and west meet. If you go north, I'm, I'm sorry, east and west never meet. If you go north, you go to the North Pole, and then you start going south. So north and south meet. East and west never do. My point is this. It's one end of eternity to the other end of eternity. You'll never, when your sins are forgiven, never, ever, ever have to deal with that consequence, that debt again.
So it's not our sin. That's already dealt with. But, and some of these may be, you say, well, aren't these things sin? Well, they may be, but our pride. Put aside our pride. As Christians, we sometimes get up in our pride. We get our pride hurt or we get our feelings hurt that people reject or don't accept our invitation to Christ or our invitation to church or they, they are against us. Put your pride in the tomb. Leave your pride there. Leave your past there. Leave your desires. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And that ought to be our prayer. And so therefore, your desires, your dreams, turn to God and say, God, you give me my dreams and leave your dreams in the tomb. Leave your hurts, your will, your fears, your burdens. Fill up the tomb with those things. My burden, you say, what do you mean my burdens? Whatever it is that burdens you. There are some important things that burden us. I have a burden for my children. I have a burden for my wife. A burden for this church. A burden for my family, for my brothers. A burden for people, friends and people I know. You say, are we supposed to leave that... We take it to the cross. We take it to Christ and we leave it with him. Jesus says, cast your cares upon me. And so symbolically what we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to take these things to the cross and pin them there. Ultimately, because I'm out of time, taking ourselves and our lives, our, our dreams, our desires, our things. The Bible says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's Matthew 16, 24. Paul said in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so therefore, our past, our pride, our desires, our hurts, our will, our fears, our burdens, it's ourselves. And then you know what you do when you've left all those things in the tomb? You've left the same thing that Jesus left, a testimony. When you leave all those things in the tomb and then others come and they see well, that's his desires. That's his will. That's his hurts. That's his. Then it leaves a testimony. Jesus left the grave clothes as a testimony. Jesus left those things there to remind us and say, I was here, but I'm no longer. Oh, my friends, be sure your grave is empty, but fill up the tomb. And so in closing, what I want us to do is way of invitation. Now, first of all, my invitation is this. If you're not saved, if you've never realized what Christ did for you in the cross, if you've missed that somehow, don't walk out of here missing it today. If you're watching on the live stream and you've missed it somehow, don't miss it today. But also, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I decided to save it for Easter. We're going to have a prayer cross. And what I mean by that is this. I want to encourage us, not just this morning, but any time that you have a burden, a prayer request, to take it, we're going to pin it to the cross.
Symbolically, we're leaving it with Jesus. We're leaving it with God. It's his to deal with. That doesn't mean we forget about it because we do these things daily. We die to self daily. We die to our will daily. We die to our desires daily. It's not a, well, one time and that's it. We're human. We, fight, we fail. We're flesh. We sin. And so, therefore, we need to do it daily. But I want to encourage us, and I'm not asking you to write down every detail of your burden or of your prayer request, but think of a name, whether it be yourself, whether it be somebody else, that is a prayer burden for you. You don't forget that, again, because others are going to see this. So you don't have to put down all the nitty-gritty details, but on the, each pew, at each end of the pew, I have placed a slip of paper. And I'm going to invite whoever wants to do this during our invitation to come, and there's some little push pins here in the offering plate, and simply take the name or the thing, write it down. You don't have to put your name attached to it, just the thing or the name, fold it over and pin it to the cross. And we're going to put this in our prayer room. That's this room right here now. And as we pass through there from Sunday school or through church or when we come to church or if we're in the church for some other reason, go in there and I encourage you to look and just pray for the names. You don't have to know the details. That's why I'm saying don't write down the detail. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to air anybody's dirty laundry. God knows. And so when I put my name on there and you see that, you'll pray for Jonathan. And God knows what my needs are. God knows what my burdens are. And so I want us as a church to, on a regular basis, go to the cross. And if you have a prayer request, put it there. But also look at the names and pray for them. But most importantly, don't leave here not understanding. Don't leave here not understanding what Christ has done for you as the Lamb of God who without a word of dispute or resistance laid down his life willingly, freely for you and for me. And then God looked upon the sacrifice that Jesus made, the payment that Jesus made, and it was imparted to you and me who believed. And so therefore, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus, his payment. And we have access not just to come to him and pray, not just to come to him with our needs and our burdens, but we have access to come to him one day in glory. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to fill up our empty tomb. That we would not forget that your son left the tomb and rose from the dead. And that we too can leave our tomb empty of ourselves. That one day, Father, when you come in the rapture and you take the dead in Christ and their bodies rise to meet their spirit in the air. Father, I pray that you would just help each person in here to know by faith that they've been saved by grace. And if they have not, that today would be the day. But that also today that they would leave their things that they do not need, that are of no help to them whatsoever, at the foot of the cross, and leave them in their tomb. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.
Amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.